when it was decided that we were going to do this hype talk portion of the festival, you know, it was really important that we added a educational, cultural, conversational aspect to this to this festival. Obviously, there's a lot of amazing stuff out there that you can cop, but without the stories behind the stuff that you're getting out there, it's all just crap. It's all just shirts and shoes without these stories and without these makers, you know. Um, and today's talk is focusing on this idea of changing walls, right? So originally, graffiti artists were out there painting illegally on walls, and now those walls have changed. They've turned into sneakers. They've turned into hotels. They've turned into nightclubs, you know. They've turned into uh, prints and canvases and T-shirts. So it's great how that wall has changed and how people have been able to advance beyond that. And we have a lot of OG legends here on this talk, probably like the greatest assemblage of OG graph artists that you could ever have. Um, and I'm actually going to bow out of this, this moderation. I'm going to let another expert come on board and moderate. Uh, his name is Sky Galately. He is the founder of Iconoclast. Iconoclast is an agency that connects these artists with businesses and to help them just with their careers and like, you know, how to manage their affairs and stuff. So Sky, come on out. Give a round of applause to Sky. All right, so Sky, I'm going to pass the mic to you. You ready okay. to do this? Yes, let's All do right. it. Let's do it. Thank cool. you, Jeff. Hey, everybody. Um, so yeah, uh, just getting into the talk for today, um, a lot of the artists that you'll hear from, um, as a premise, a lot of us have seen the products that they've made, um, a lot of the things in the endemic hype beast sphere, and what we want to do today is actually talk about the things somewhat outside of that. Um, knowing that folks in the audience are also young, aspiring creatives that are serious about what they do. Um, and we want to provide an opportunity for you guys to hear some insight into how they actually really became who they are, um, things that they've gone through in their life, and just other things you can learn from them as professional creatives uh, that are also just really amazing humans. So, Can I add one thing? Absolutely, Jeff. So uh, one thing I wanted to say, too, is that the setup of this, of this conference talk that we're doing, as you can see, is very non-traditional, right? Usually it's on a stage. You guys are really far away. We deliberately had you guys sit right up front. You guys are sort of like the attendees of a meeting that we're having, and you guys are just watching the meeting unfold. And this is just going to be like old friends talking to each other. So you are in for a real treat. Um, with that being said, too, we're going to do some talk, but we're also going to open up the questioning to you guys so that you guys can be part of that conversation as well. So have good questions ready because the mic will be on. All right, let's bring on. them out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, everybody uh, say hello to Stash. <laughs> Futura. Andre. Steve Powers. And Crash. All right. Yo. Okay. So the first thing I was actually on a I was on a panel yesterday that Jeff was moderating. So I would suggest if any of you guys want to remove this this piece right now. There you go. It'll just make it a little bit easier. Okay. Um. So yeah, this this group uh, group of artists is a, a really powerful combination of of people with really diverse uh, backgrounds, both professionally and just outside of their careers. Um, so I really just wanted to open it up, you know, knowing some of these guys personally. 
uh, and they've taken very non-traditional paths. When you were of the age of most of the folks in the audience aspiring to be, um, you know, choosing a, a path in your life that was being creative versus a linear thinking, say, business person, what are the different things you had to do just to allow yourself um, a life of creativity? You know, what are the, what are the things that you did as, as a young person in order to be able to be an artist? So we'll, we'll, start, uh, we'll start with Stash. What's up? Uh, my name is Stash, Brooklyn, New York. Woo! Under two sentences, right, Jeff? Um, all right, I don't like this. Um, I mean, for me, I'm a little bit younger than a certain generation of the New York City graffiti movement, so my falling into the art was taking the train to school and seeing what somebody like Crash or Futura at the time was sort of up to, and that sort of really opened me up to something a bit more of something I knew not of and really wanted to explore a bit and sort of so for me the New York City graffiti movement really led me to everything I did outside of that just that same energy and interest and devotion in how the fuck did they do that can I do that oh should I want to do it should I do you know all of it is the same about creating anything so right that's sort of my sort of entry pardon me my entry into the whole okay Thing. I'm Crash, <clears throat> uh, born and raised in the Bronx. Um, I sort of, uh, I sort of picked up on graph uh, from the guys that were older than I was. I was really getting into it about 12 or 13. But once I started high school and I started going into the city to go to high school, um, I got really, really involved with uh, a lot of the early tags, especially guys from Brooklyn, like uh, the Wrecking Crew. Um, that's what I sort of emulate a little bit. But then again, um, growing up in the Bronx, um, a lot of the older guys that were in a group called the Master Blasters, TMB, um, the, some of them lived in my building, and seeing the tags and recognizing that, oh wow, you know, I saw this on the trains, that um, became a personal thing for me, and that's where I started, you know, really just getting into it. Right. Okay, great. I'm Andre from Paris, and uh, I started looking up uh, at all these guys. They were my inspiration. And maybe more of all, Lenny here, Futura, um, he came to Paris very early uh, before any of the Americans. And uh, I think 87, 88, he was painting uh, at a party for Agnes B. And I saw him paint on a canvas on the floor. And I think that inspired me to do, uh, to paint, other than on trains and walls. Thank you, Lenny. <laughs> I, could, I could jump in here, but I want to hear Lenny first. So can I, can I skip one and I'll, I'll, Absolutely. Tie, it, I'll tie it back in. Sure. Lenny, when did you start, if you would? Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for being here. Uh, shout out to Hypefest. Uh, <laughs> organized uh, this whole event. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me to participate. Thank you, Sky, moderating. Of course. Yeah, man, you know, I love to tell stories, so I don't want to sit here and bore you guys. Um, but I got so many fucking great stories. Um, <laughs> let's just pick it up. I, I'm really all about decades, so just speaking with Crash before we came out here, like... Um, 
It's 50 years, guys. It's, it's, I mean, not even for me. I was only 13 in 68. But in 68, I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, and the rest I'm going to attribute to imagination, a lot of good luck, uh, some genetics, perhaps. You got to check out my kids. They're amazing. Um, but just, just to say that, you know, I'm, I'm a lucky kid from New York. I'm born in Manhattan at Bellevue. Um, so was Timmy. And, but I moved to Brooklyn in 80 when the whole thing exploded for the quote-unquote street art culture that existed at that time. We were all hanging out in the Lower East Side. I was like, damn, man, it's like a bike ride away over the Willie B. Yeah, there's Hasidic people and Hispanic people, and it's not so great over there, but the rent is like $450, $500 a month. Boom, I moved to Williamsburg in 80, and I've been out here ever since. So glad you guys are all here in Brooklyn. I, I'm going to claim Brooklyn right now. This, I live in Brooklyn, baby. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. This is Espo, by so the way. So um, My name is Steve Powers. You can call me Espo. And I, I was really blessed that in, I, I, I admired Lenny's work, and I had a magazine called On The Go that was a little color Xerox magazine. And I sent a copy up to Fuge in the hopes that him and Stash at the time had a clothing company. Stash, it was yours? It's his? It's both yours? No, it was ours. It was ours. It was their thing. And it, was I, it was like Stash's brainchild, but, but I was, I was, was on board. It was GFS, right? So um, I'm getting out of pocket already. But anyway, I mailed a magazine up to Fuge, and one day, of all days, the day that the, the World Trade Center was bombed the first time, I was on the phone with... I was that would have been like 92, 93. My bad. Hello, yeah. And I was on the phone. I was working at this like crappy little newspaper that my brother got me a job at. That's another story. Great one. But I had the pleasure of Fuge calling up and just saying, like, hey, I got your magazine. Um, I, had, I had an answering machine. That's what you did in the 90s. I had a telephone number that just basically was an answering machine that I called into, and Future left, left a message on it and complimented me on the magazine. And I immediately returned the call, and I made a plan to go sell him advertising, which was a pretty good idea. I was, not, I was selling advertising to the wrong guy, but it was a good idea. So the day that I went up to New York to GFS, um, it was Gerb, Futura, and Stash, I believe at the time, and it was on Mott Street. And I get into this office. Reese is on a computer. He didn't have a computer of his own, so he's borrowing their computer to work on graphics. I believe, I'm almost sure that Nego came in pre-everything with a six-pack of beer. He gave Lenny one. And he sat down in like a sumo position and proceeded to drink the rest of the six-pack without talking to anybody. And while I'm dealing with, with that overload, Dondi came in, and Dondi immediately starts a conversation with Lenny about real estate. And they were talking about apartments and different apartments that they had and the places that they had gone to and the things that, you know, the places that they were living and renting at. And he, one would say, like, Oh, I had that one spot at 75th and Broadway. 
And Lenny would say, like, oh, you mean the place above the, the Grace Papaya or the place that's above the bike shop? He'd say, no, I had the place above the bike shop. Remember that other place on Amsterdam? And they would go back and forth for, like, ten apartments and ten locations, and I realized these guys are collecting property the way that people collect baseball cards or something. And it went on like that. It was a whole afternoon. Lenny got me high. I forgot to ask him for advertising money. But I got to make his acquaintance, and I got to see, like, it was like a, a superhero meeting. It was like the Avengers are getting together and smoking joints and talking about business. Um, Stash, I got to meet Stash, I think, on that first occasion, and he had just had his first flush of success. Maybe not his first one, but it was certainly the Phillies blunt shirt was, like, happening. And I think we're all here because of the Phillies blunt shirt in one way or, or another, so thank you for that. Thank you, Phillies blunt. And, uh, you know, it was just one of these things where a phone call will change your life if you pick it up and call back. So that's what happened to me. True story. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. It's not a bad story. Uh, you know, so I think a, a lot of the young folks in the audience, they're definitely in a, in a moment in their lives when they're not only trying to make a name for themselves, but in the instance of you guys actually making a name for yourself. The idea that when you're uh, a creative, very often what you do is either inextricably tied to who you are as a person or you have a persona that you create that is kind of, you know, maybe your artist moniker or something else. So all of you guys have legal names. All of you have one or several um, made-up names. And I think sometimes the where did that come from and how did you come of it and how is it materialized in your life uh, is fun to talk about. So, yeah, your guys' names, wow. you know, wh why and where and how and how is it, you know. Worst one yet. Um, you might want to start back over with that. Yeah. So okay, let's, let's start. Well, we, no, we don't have to. I'll, I'll go. But I'm saying my story is really whack. Okay, uh, Futura, it's um, a typeface. Uh, although I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I did see it. No, no, I'm lying. I didn't know. Was it from uh, the car? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Futura car is an old Ford from the 60s. It was called, we used to call like a Kennedy-era car, which meant it was like the early 60s. Very dope. Beautiful, cursive, uh, you know, like logo, uh, whatever, design. And, and even as a kid, I was just into design. So Futura, boom, yeah, I, I saw that. Um, I wanted to not be that because, you know, all people might associate it with that. I was going to be Future. I thought, like, oh, Future's dope. No disrespect to the current kid called Future, but I came up with that shit way before you. But <laughs> no, I'm just saying. But Future was just like, yeah, because it was going to be Future 2000. Uh, in 1970, that was like some place in life I would never be because we believed back then we were going to die young. And no one wanted to be old, so it just seemed like romantic and unapproachable and like a great name. And then I told this Puerto Rican girl um, in my neighborhood at the time, I'm from 103rd Broadway, I was like, so future 2000, she's like, Futura. And I was like, oh shit, that's so dope. So that's the birth of Futura, <laughs> is some girl back in the day that sounded she looked better than Cardi B, but it was like that same kind of isms, you know, with the Hispanics. So that's the birth of Futura. Andre? 
Monsieur A, sino, sino Andre? Uh... I, I'm a bit different. I just took my given name, who has a very wrong choice, because normally when you do graffiti, you shouldn't put your own name on the walls. But, but okay. I had to stick with it, so I'm still Andre. Oh, I just want to say how dumb of a person I am or was. Um, so there's Leonard Street. It's Manhattan. There might be one in other boroughs, but there's definitely a Leonard Street in Manhattan. Back in the day, the old because everything changed, guys, over the years. You're living in a world today. I mean, Steve's talking about calling people on the phone. So one of my, one of my claim, claims to fame is the brick train. That's almost like a, a riddle. But one of my claims to fame is the brick train I painted in 1980. Dondi took me to a yard, his yard, Dondi's Euclid Avenue layup, and I painted this brick train. Dondi's personal photographer was Martha Cooper. In the morning, when we came out of the layup, I painted the train. We called Martha Cooper. It's 4 or 5 in the morning. We left a message. Martha, we just painted this train. It's rolling out of Euclid. Uh, it's on the right side if you're conductors. But, you know, all this, like, technical. So she knew where the, paint, uh, the train had been painted. Judging a photographer's point of view, oh, day, time of day, sun. She knew exactly where to be. She caught that shit running in nature like a wild animal in the jungle. And to this day, I'm indebted because if she didn't do that, how could anyone believe I could have accomplished something like that? Even though it's not even a big accomplishment in the history of graffiti, it's a, it's a meaningless effort from some kid who just was wilding out one night, like very fucked up on some really good weed and, and just craziness. So thanks for Bell Telephone and the existence of an answering machine. and. And you guys don't even know what, you know, it's like, why would you want an answering machine? I mean, if you had a landline, I guess maybe if your parents were checking in. But, I, I, you know, so something is lost today, I feel, in the way of communication that I value. You talk about a message you had listened to me recorded, the one I left on Martha's machine, the ones I have from Jean-Michel, from Ramel Z, from Dandy. I have messages from dead friends on answering machines that I can't even listen to the tapes on. So it's... It's a long time in this story, guys, and I'm just, once again, I'm just like grateful to wake up, have woken up today. You know, I, I mean, I'm fine. I'm, I'm in good health and shit, but, but, you know, it's just, I'm grateful. Thank you. Okay. Uh, mine is easy. Um, I, um, my freshman year of high school, um, I was attending a school called Mary Bertram High School for business careers. And um, I decided that my major was going to be computer programming. So to show you how old me and Futura are, uh, there were no such thing as personal computers. The computer filled this room. And it was called an IBM Systems 3 Model 10. And what they did was they were teaching us how to OCL a computer, which means to start it up in the morning, turn it on, blah, blah, blah. So um, they had this drawer, a massive drawer. And you put in a, a data disk that was about 24 inches round. So you open the drawer, you put it in, you lock it, and you close it. You press a couple of buttons, and away it goes. So I happened to put the disc in wrong, and it crashed. And kids being kids in high school, that just, you know, they just were merciless. So I skipped school for two weeks. Turns out that I was in trouble, the teacher was, because he left us alone to play with this, with this thing. And um, the system crashed, and that's how I got the name. I did not know that. That's, that, that's great, because that's before... Yeah, this, we is 19, even associated. this was 1970. Uh, no, this is 1975. Okay. So I, but to even scarier, 19, I graduated in 1979. I went to visit the computer teacher who was tight with me in 1980, 
they scrapped the whole system and they bought in the personal computers. How future is that story? That's very future. Um, yeah, I mean, what computers, right? Like that was like my BFF in 20 years ago when, when the whole, you know, you're talking about Reese on his computer. There were, there were a couple of kids back then. I don't know if it's like loot, but, but mostly back in the day when this technology emerged, just like anything else really. I mean, you know, it's expensive at the outset. And, and things are different now. You know, they, they've dumbed everything down. Everything's like very affordable. You know, they, they like can't wait to give you away a product right now. But back in the day, like storage space, you know, I mean, if you think of, you know, whatever KBs, you know, we were, we were working with, um, the amount of storage I have on my phone now, you know, would have taken up, uh, you know, 10 external hard drives back when I was operating in the 90s. So, yeah, computers have obviously changed my life in a sense of, a tool beyond the spray can or any other traditional artist mediums that, that anyone can have access to. The one thing I like about computers, and I told people back in the day, it's like it's like a foreign language, right? Like if you can learn how to get good at it, like I said, that's why they've dumbed everything down now. The shit I can do on an app would have taken me a couple of hours in Photoshop, let alone 25 years ago, a few days by manual physical fucking labor where you're, you're doing stuff, whether it's cut and pasting or you know, just manual graphics, which is not a bad start for anyone, obviously, too. If you just want to be good at something like do the knowledge, you know, don't shortcut yourself through life. It's not a good, you know, in the end, you'll come up short because if I can speak for anything at this panel today to you guys, this is not even as like, oh, you're Futura. No, I'm Lenny McGurr. I'm like your boy. You know, I could be your uncle, I could be your father, I could be your grandfather. And fine, I'm, I'm, I could wear all those hats and I'll speak to you from the same, you know, perspective, which is honesty. And, you know, if I can help people in life in some way, whether it's advice or, you know, I know you, you need a loaner, you know, whatever, like I'm that guy. So just to say that as you move through shit, just don't expect it to work out immediately. It, it hasn't for me. But I'm very patient, and, and even in 70, when I had the 2000 vision, I mean, look how short-sighted I was. That was a 30-year view. We're 50, like I say, fucking years later. So think long-term. Short-term is good, but short, sometimes short-term is based on greed. So just to say, like, have a plan, stick with it, think positive things, and believe in your shit. I mean, even when no one else does, I mean, I'm proof of that. Because there was a yeah. time... Hola. Yeah, we're all proof of that. I mean, there was a time when people were like, get the fuck out, you know, literally, like, no, get the fuck out of here. So, you know, not the good one. It's like, fuck Michael Jackson. Like, no, no, get the fuck out of here. So, and, and that's before, like, I don't give a fuck, and, you know, all you kids invented shit. No, you didn't. But just, you know, wait for life to come to you. It's waiting. That's a quote. Uh, I, quote I quote myself. Right. That's good. He's the best. He's the best, right? Yeah. Uh, I got Espo from, uh, it's a contraction from Steve Powers. It's like S Powers, Espo. And it's, it, what I liked about it was it didn't mean anything. Like, all you guys have names that mean things. And what I liked about Espo was it didn't mean anything. And whatever meaning it would have, I would bring to it. It was like an empty vessel that I could fill up. So I did. And uh, it also came in handy that the first time the cops came to my house, they came looking for an Esposito. And... Oh, and my mom, my mom's so, so honest to a fault. If she knew they were looking for me, she would have let them in and helped them move the couch or whatever. But she honestly thought they were wrong, so she kicked them out. 
And it wasn't until I got home that I had to like break the news to her that I was a wanted man. Um, so it goes. Um, so knowing, knowing several of the gentlemen on the panel, um, I really admire that a, a lot of their success in their career and a success also defined by people knowing who they are is determined by not what they need others to do for them, but what they have done themselves. Um, and when you're, especially when you're young and you have ambition, it's really important to also know that, just like Lenny said, something, you know, you can figure something out, but it might take some time. So uh, in all of these guys' current practices, some of their most uh, creatively successful and financially successful businesses are not ones where they need a partner, they need a, necessarily need a gallery. Um, it's all about them working with their community and doing things on their own. So just love for you guys to give some perspective on how you do what you do and what part of um, what you do is really doing it yourself. You know, Steve, for example, runs a, a, a fantastic uh, print shop in Brooklyn. Uh, he also has an amazing studio practice, but that's something that he has really developed um, with the community. So maybe start with Steve and then we can go with others. I mean, I, I do remember that it, it was a, partly inspired by um, the clubhouse that these guys had made for themselves. I thought that was really amazing. Um, Espo's Art World has had a couple iterations. It was Icy Signs. It was Espo's Creative Outlet. And it's, it was primarily a place where people could go and work. You know, we could stage jobs. We could get paint signs or do the work that we needed to do that we were installing in other places. And it was, became a place that was, I got used to having people around and people got used to showing up and getting to work on stuff. So we kept it going. And the print shop was a necessary natural component that just kind of arose out of that. Like the world doesn't need another print shop. There's absolutely zero need for one more I, print shop. I need shop. one. I'll come okay, and see you. one more guy. Um, but generally there's, we worked with other print shops People, there was far better printers than we can print, but it became important to do it ourselves, and it became important to tell a story um, that really benefited the, you know, our neighborhood and the people that we were connected with every day. We're at the corner of 4th and Bergen. We've got like two, we got a 99 cent store, and we got a needle exchange, and we've got like two other kind of like delis of, of dubious quality, and a really good deli, and whatever, like, these are the people in our neighborhood. It's not West Village, it's not Soho, it's you know downtown Brooklyn. And these are the people we work with and they're interesting and they're, they're the real old New York that you hear about is gone away, but it's actually right in the line, right just right out of the line of your sight. And it became a place that we could paint and we could print t-shirts for people and we could like make prints for people and we could respond directly to like what was going on in the neighborhood. And it really just came into focus like the day after the election. I wanted I dragged my ass into work and just saw like everybody was like through the floor. But we had an image that we could print that made sense of the situation and we printed it. And it just kind of like made sense to just be a a place that responds and reacts to like what people actually need and want rather than like making an art that like Hopefully they'll like it. Hopefully it'll do well at auction. Hopefully it'll like find a buyer. 
this is kind of like a more organic, homegrown thing of just saying, like, here's what we think people are thinking and feeling, and we're going to make work that will resonate with them. And But it's poetry. But it's, it's what? It's, it's poetry. It's poetry. Yeah. It's S-poetry. Amazing. So, yeah. It's a bad business, but it's love is, but you should do it for love anyway. Yeah, lo love is everything. Um, graffiti for me, I grew up like in the equivalent of the like projects in Paris, and I, did, I wasn't supposed to do anything else than maybe paint buildings, but in white. And uh, graffiti gave me this freedom to do things without people asking me or t giving me the permission. And um, I did a lot of graffitis, of course, started to paint, but also did nightclubs, hotels, restaurants, and I did it because I wasn't waiting for people to give me the permission to do it. I did it. I failed sometime, but I always had fun doing it. And that's a big thing that graffiti What was your first me. hotel? Hotel Amour. And tell me about Hotel Amour. It's all about love. Come, come and stay there. Like how many is it like? 100 rooms, 10 rooms? Oh, the first hotel, yeah. No, it's like tw no, 24 rooms. And uh, no, I didn't have a place to, to, to sleep. I was sleeping uh, at friends' houses, and this friend of mine came and said, like, oh, there's this hotel, we should take it over. So me and my two friends, we took it over. And I lived there for years, and I still live there when I go to Paris. Amazing. So. And you, you reopened Le Bain? And I reopened Le Bain in Paris. Yeah. No, that's not me. I oh. don't like those guys. Oh. They, they fake. They but toys. what about the one in New York? Oh, I helped to do a club called Le Bain. Okay. But that wasn't uh, Le Bain. That's, I, I remember, that's club history. I remember people like stepping to Le you. Bain douche. Le Bain douche. I remember people like thanking you for opening a club in Paris. What, do yeah. you know? Oh, that was Le Baron. Le Baron. Okay, yeah. Le Baron. Like, people lining up to shake his hand because they were like, thank you for that. That was very important what you did. Did like, yeah, yeah. I can't so. imagine, like, New Yorkers doing that. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe for Steve Rubell. But that's, like, what you'd have to do, you know? So it was kind of amazing to see that. Yeah? We good? Okay. Um, yeah, Lenny, anything about just... What, getting into the game? Just not even getting into the game, just the concept of... Looking not, for attention much? Not, not, not needing others and, you know, just creating something with your how friends did, and making a community. How did the Phillies Blunt thing happen? Yeah. That's a great story. Stash? Smoke, smoking them. Um, no, but we were also in the era of that early 90s Cypress Hill West Coast revival where they were fully out of the closet about smoking, you know, and it was just, it was in the air, no pun intended. I mean, design-wise, for me, it was about making something that you wanted you couldn't get. So I started with Krylon t-shirts, right? Yes, Rust-Oleum Krylon, which is a... Rust-Oleum and Krylon, by the way, are, are two obviously very famous historical spray, spray brands from New York, not to be outdone by... Original Red Devil, but that's just for those who know. But yes, Krylon. Just wanted a Krylon shirt. And right, I mean, it's basically busting a logo, just, just stealing a logo. Just, you know, taking a logo, making a t-shirt. Not doing what Fuck did and making it Ford, but no. you just snatched it straight up. Krylon t-shirts. Loved it. You remember selling those shits in Paris outside the... Uh, I do. 
And Rusto as well. And Rusto. But the idea of appropriating Rusto a logo him. because culturally we want to represent who we are, right? We want to be and do what we do. And much like Fight Club, graffiti artists didn't do it for other people to quote scheme. We had our own community. Everybody was like, fuck you to them. It was our own internal thing. So a Krylon shirt, general population wouldn't even know what you're wearing. Garden paint, whatever. Another graffiti artist would be like, oh, what, what's up with that? You know, yeah. you... It was for us. Where'd right? you get that? Basically, the original before Babido. No, you know, no. So to me, shout it was, out to Babido. Um, Where'd you get that? Goes all over. It's not just sneakers or whatever. The idea it's, of doing it everything. by yourself is the same thing. Of just okay, I know how to get it done. I'm gonna just do it. Right. So how many Crown shirts did you make before you realized, oh, the Philly's Blunt would be great. I should do something with that. They were selling side by side. All right. Philly Blunt just happened. It wasn't a. It was one more appropriation along the You remember the lines that roster colorway we fr we flipped? But it was a phenomenon. It was. Thank you. It was huge. No, it was until it got bootlegged. You know, until we saw everybody in Forty Second Street. You know, just lamping, selling them. We realized, like, wait, what? What happened here? But that's great too. I think that's great too. I think that's like a high water mark. When you get bootlegged, you're you're in rare territory. Thank you. So. So, for me, rather than telling, you know, old stories about the old New York, which we love and, and we miss. I thought that was a great story. That wasn't a great story. No, no, no. It, it's an amazing story. It's just, Stash needs to tell how the Beastie Boys really made it happen for us. Go ahead. It was Mick Jones prior, because he yes, wore a yes. pylon shirt we you're did. You're right, you're right. We, you know, because of Lenny's history, my history, and just early branding, without the word branding, it was just hooking your homie up with a t-shirt. It was a matter of... Hey, yeah, I made this. You down with that? And whether they wear it or not, you don't know. It's uh, like Lenny said, part luck, part genetic. Not mine, but whatever. Although my kids are dope. Um, they are. The idea of, hey, shit, we made that. It was just on national television. What's going to happen with that? It just, this is, we, we didn't have the internet. We didn't start with emailing PDFs. You wanted to sell a T-shirt to somebody in Paris. You had to get on a fucking airplane learn how to speak French. So... You know, we, we, we're cold callers. We come from a different time. The luxury of now is way different than when we did it. So you, you had to do it. Nobody was there doing it for you. Right. You know, it was a, a different, and it was fine. It, it was just, that's what we did then. So that's a lesson. Meet, meet really talented musicians and rock stars and work with them whenever possible. <laughs> Knucklehead, dude. And if you're, and if you're making T-shirts and shit, give them, give them some. Give them swag. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, Rash, you, um, wanna, you want some? Um, with me, I, I, I sort of floated in and out. You know, every, everyone had their thing, but I floated in and out until, until maybe like four years ago um, that I came up with the stupid idea of opening up a gallery in the South Bronx. That's right. And what we did, the idea was behind the, uh, the space was to show local artists that wouldn't have a chance anywhere. And then also to bring in artists from around the world who, again, wouldn't have a chance to show in New York. So um, I was in Paris having dinner with my daughter and a friend, and um, I just, I don't know, I just came up with the idea of, hey, would you be interested in helping a sponsor to open up a space in the South Bronx? And my daughter looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? So, you know, months later, I, I see a space, I rent it, and I just went in on it blindly. And I wanted to do something along the lines of Fashion Motor, where Fashion Motor opened the doors and allowed the people that um, were from the neighborhood to come in and to sort of get involved 
in a situation where you can show work and not be afraid of showing it. So um, it's also like they can experience art for the first yeah, time in yeah, those communities. Yeah, you know, certainly. Because I'm down the street from Mitchell Houses. The Mitchell Houses is a complex that was made known, really well known by John Michel Basquiat. He did a series of paintings based on the Mitchell crew. So I'm down the street from there, and it's a it's a tough neighborhood. Except now with all the gentrification that's going on, you know, the people are starting to sort of get away, and I'm still trying to get them back. But it's an interesting um, space in that I'll show stuff like stash, but then I show stuff. 18-year-old photographers from the projects who, again, you know, and they're blown away, and they come in and we talk all the time. So um, that has been, like, one of the, the best things that I've done. Um, I mean, it's, it's satisfying in the sense that I can share um, the little I know with these 18-year-old kids who would normally be out um, breaking into cars and doing what they got to do to, you know, to support their family. Amazing. And it's open, been open four years? How, how um, we opened in 2014. Actually, we opened up with a really interesting show um, just to show that we weren't into it to make money. We did a show to honor uh, Don D. A1 of Amelzin. They happened to be all friends who passed away, so we borrowed the work, and some of the work came from my collection, and we just did a, like, an amazing show, it, and, and that sort of showed everyone, look, you know, we're serious, and this is what it is, and it allows the people from the neighborhood not have to go into the city to look at art, but, you know, it's something down the street that they can... They can just get in into the community. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> okay, so we're at, we're at the point of a, in the talk where we're going to open it up for questions. Okay. Uh, is there is there a mic runner for questions, please? Thank you. Hi, Futura. Hi, Stash, and hi, everyone else. So, given everything and a lot of the references that were made as you were speaking. When you look to your left and you look to your right, and you've all talked about culture, you've talked about kids from the projects, you've talked about Basquiat, does it strike you when you look to your left and you look to your right that there are no black people on this panel? Um, no, that's unfortunate. Yep. Um, didn't think of it that way. I don't see life that way all the time, but yes, in the world we live in today, it could be noted. It's obvious. Uh, I mean, ironically, back then, when I told people I was a graffiti writer, they're like, but you're not black. Yeah. So I'm reverse of growing up through that. And so no, I'm, I mean, I think, clear, I think it's I a relevant question. I respect but, all of your work. I just think in this day and age, it's almost like... Sure, but then let me just, because I'm dumb, um, for argument's sake, do I look at the panel that I see and I say, wait, there's no black people? Yeah, I mean, just a question, because I would then say, yeah, I mean, we all have a social connectivity. Not to say the black friends that he mentioned, A1, Ramos, Ian Dondi, all of great friends of ours who are dead. Love them to be here, honey, I really would. And the most famous and successful also. So I don't know how to address that question. I wish it wouldn't go there, because it's, it's uncomfortable. Because now you're making me think about it, and I'm like, yeah, I should have considered that, but then, yeah, should I have considered You see what I mean? It's, it's a perpetual argument for me that I can't answer. So, but just to say that our culture is enriched with black homies who did work. Uh, we're all out here, like I said, I mean, graffiti is basically like, hey, look at me, I'm trying to be seen. I joined a culture where I was an outcast. I'm an only child. I'm an adopted kid. I got a black mother and a white father. So your question does fuck me up because 
I've been living 60-something years on the planet still kind of fucked up about all that. So not to make you feel bad about asking, you should. I don't. But there's no women here either. Yeah. Okay, so we could, there's no lady pink, but unfortunately, people from what we're trying to establish here as a, as a post-tense street culture meets graph panel, yeah, there's no black homies. There's no, there's no. And it's because I think all of you there's are There's no African-Americans, there's no Negroes, there's no colored people. You know, like I say, I know all about all that, and it, it, it's uncomfortable. You know, because I say now everyone's just on their movements, and it, sometimes it's very appropriate. I feel sometimes it isn't. Now, that's not the black person not being here argument I can have all night. The female argument, I will not defend any man who's acting out of hand in any way. I mean, I have a beautiful daughter. I've always treated women with the utmost respect, but the, the black person on the panel thing, yeah, I could kind of try to argue with you there because what could we do? I mean, who, who, we, who is that person? Who is that person? Do you know who he or she is? So I don't. But okay, I but see, there, there, therein but lies your fault then because but if you're going to say that to us, you need to have ammunition and say, well, what about no, no, Mr. No. X, Y, or Z? So to be clear, yes, I didn't place fault in anyone on the panel. I said, did you think it was odd? Understood, I, I but, do but, think but, but the question insinuates blame or some perception, you know, like we should have perceived that that's not cool. I think in this day and age, we didn't come here with that intention. Can so I say I've something? Worked with yeah, you're Hispanic. Yeah. Speak um, up. I've been in a lot of panels. And all respect to all of no, you. No, that's cool. I've been in a lot of panels that were African Americans. Um, I've been left out of panels where it's um, whoever it is. You know what I'm saying? So it's, this is one panel of 10,000. You know, I've been in some where they're African Americans, some that don't, and some that we're not even part of. This is like my you know third, it's, it's, okay? So I'm it's, like, it's, pardon me. It just happened to be today. So and really, graffiti is the only meritocracy I truly know where you're judged by your work. You're not judged by your yeah. skin color. You're yeah. judged by the effort you yeah. make and what you actually yes. do. Nobody says, hey. Yes, yes, yes. This train's missing something. I don't know what it is. People, no, people don't yeah. do that. People love what they see, and they assign beauty, and they assign love to the things that they see. They don't but judge think, it based on... But I will say this, Steve, and to be clear, I respect all of you. I'm not at all saying that's, that. I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm just saying what I'm here for is the celebration of work. And, and I get that. No, no, it. Steve, but let me just say this. And I respect that. I absolutely, as I said, I respect all of you. I've worked with some of you on the panel. But my, what I'm, all I'm trying to say is that at a time when you guys are educating people and educating a younger culture, mm -hmm. because I'm old, I'm old just like some of you are older. And so I think what I'll, all I'm asking is that for when people are learning about this culture, this panel is teaching. And I'm not saying for any one of you individually, but collectively, this panel is teaching. And I'm going to sit down because this wasn't meant to be no, it's all good. back and forth, it's but okay. that's all I'm saying. And it wasn't to take away from any one of you. I think you're all amazing. I, we see, have nothing else to bring a, to the conversation. Us, I mean, most of us. I mean, I know this panel is colorblind. Um, the space that we open up uptown is all minorities. And half of the artists that we work with are women. Now, say, well, saying that, um, this, just, this panel just happened to be, this is the configuration. Again, there'll be a panel next week. 
totally all women. Then another panel, all African Americans, all Latinos, all Asian. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just one configuration that just happened. Yeah, where's my Asian people way. at? Okay. Yeah. Next question, Next question, maybe. Thank you. It's, it's or, okay. or, it's not, or not. Okay. We can, we can or end on that now. Yeah, conversation. Oh, they're afraid. Don't be afraid. Hi, I have a question. Um, which city do you find your, your most inspired or the most inspiration that you had? Tokyo. Tokyo. Besides New York, right? I like New York. New York. New York for me was the mecca. It was the place I had to go, and and is where all my idols are here, and and here, and here, and here. Uh, no, New York is, I think, still a big inspiration for graffiti and for kids around the world. Philadelphia is good too. Yeah, I was visit Philadelphia. I was going to go Philly next, <laughs> but I didn't. Tokyo and Philly should move in together. See what happens. <laughs> Sao Paulo is beautiful. Sao Paulo's got a lot of, of everything. Nice. Philly cheese sushi. Yeah. Mm, yummy. Uh, no, come on. It's New York. It's not like, I mean, I love the planet. I've been a, a nomadic traveler my whole life. I, uh, my friend and I, my friend was badly burned. In, uh, I mean, my graffiti story is... In, in rich, it's rich with like tragedy and, and death and, and, and fire. But uh, in 73, I was painting a train with my friend Mark Edmonds, AKA Ali, like uh, he took it from Muhammad Ali. So his tag was Ali. Great, great kid, great artist, beautiful, beautiful man. He passed away uh, in the late 90s. But we, we were painting one night, and, and a fire ensued, and he was badly burned. And shortly thereafter, just to escape the trauma of the incident, and there was a subsequent article written in the New York Times. You could find it right now, September 73. Graffiti artist pleads from hospital bed, stop the spraying. This is, this is true shit right here. So based on that incident with Mark that night, that September evening, I was like, fuck it, man, this is terrible. What am I doing? I'm like writing my name on shit, trying to get noticed, trying to get girls. Trying, I didn't even know the motivation behind what I was doing. But my friend's in the hospital, and I thought he was going to die. I mean, it turns out he didn't die then. He was badly burned. Burns recovered remarkably. Vitamin E, butter, his mother's magic, something Kid looked beautiful, actually, after the whole thing. But as a result, I, I joined the military as an 18-year-old kid. And I was gone for four years. I never came back. My mother passed away, my black mother, by the way. Uh, you know, that hurt. I was all alone. I'm an only child. I joined graffiti because it's like, wow, look at all those brothers and a few sisters. Barbara, Eva, Pink. Shaman? Yeah. Uh, who's my... Uh, no, uh, well, whatever, I wasn't hanging with the female writers. But anyway, just to say that that whole experience for me, you know, w was amazing in a way because when most people were going to school and getting a real education, I, I went in the military for four years. And, and that's really, 
the epicenter of me as a person is that I, I learned a lot. I learned how to do a lot of things efficiently, professionally. You know, I learned it by getting up in the morning, you know, and like how they try to mind fuck you by throwing water on you and smacking you around and, you know, just making you do dumb shit just to see who'll do it and who won't. But I, I knew it was a game and I knew like, well, you know what, like half these kids can't do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get through this because it's 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 all a mind fuck. And and so I, I came back out of that and I got into the 90s, uh, I'm sorry, the nineties, the the late seventies and jumped right back in. Did that whole car I talked about with Dondi, and by the way, he passed away twenty years ago last week. And Dondi was a great friend of mine and I loved him and his book Style Master General, if you don't own it, you should own it. And props to Zephyr and, and Andy Witten and and all the homies. But just to say that the whole graffiti story, which allegedly may have come from Philadelphia by way of cornbread, I mean, there's some debate about that actually, you know, is who's the... There's no debate. Who's the real, you know, shaft. There's a lot of debate. But, but the whole thing is like this whole, I mean, you know, we're, we're here at this event, it's, it's super hype, it's lit, it's extra, it's all the shit you guys say. There's a lot of cool clothing and, and, and people got dope shit and, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's a... It's a full-on, everything's on blast, and, you know, it's, it's dope. It's cool. But the reality is, like, not that we're, you know, architects, but what, fuck you, man. I had a blueprint in my hand at one point. I, I, I'm not an architect, but I, I, I carried a drawing from one spot to another it's at true. one point. So I never claim, like, yo, you know who the fuck I'm future. Who gives a fuck that I'm future? I don't. To be honest with you, I can't wait to get out of here and be Lenny again. When it's like, there's no pressure on me. Yo, sign shit. Take a photo. Yo, nigga, you dope. Living let. Yeah, it's boring. Okay, so don't think I live there, guys. I don't. That's why I'm approachable. That's why it's like, yo, this guy, he seems like he's cool. Uh, duh, he is cool. He's real. Not like these fake-ass motherfuckers running around right now. All right. Can I, can I say something real quick? I'm just saying. I, um, I can I hear that all night. We could do that all night long. Let me say something. Um, I hear you. What did you say? One of, one of the most um, things that I remember when I met uh, Lenny in the late 70s, he invited me up to his apartment. He lived on 79th Street in Amsterdam, I think it was. Yes. Um, and one of the, it, it sounds kind of weird, but I walked into the bedroom and he converted his closet into a studio. That's right. I've... To, we painted on rooftops. That's, That's called humble beginnings, people. I started in a but fucking closet. That, that in my girlfriend's apartment. Yeah. And I was, yeah. Now, mind you, I was just out of the military. I was playing poverty, the poverty game. You know it. Mad people play it. Like, no, nah, I ain't got no money. You know, I mean, I made between shit. I was sitting on 15,000 U.S. dollars that I had connived during my military experience. We won't speak about that. But I had loot. I was independent. I'd been around the world. I was like, fuck this. I came back after four years. The same people I grew up with in my neighborhood were on the same fucking stoop. They hadn't moved the muscle. The, the, the hierarchy of where you sit, everything was exactly the same. It was like a, a time lock for these people. And I was like, man, you know, I've had some crazy experiences in the last four years, but fuck it, man, I've, I've grown. I, I see growth. And you got to see growth. So, yeah, when... when, when that, that impressed me because... When we were hanging out... Yeah, we, none of us had studios I or, mean, or workspaces. I was living like a bum because I was presenting an image of 
you know, not not the Jean-Michel Pascal, who I love tremendously. You know, not the, not the kind of neo-romantic bohemian vagabond. I mean, that shit plays well. But, no, nah, I was just on the low. I'm trying to do little graphics. I got a protractor. I got a fucking <laughs> compass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, then I see Eric Hayes a few years later. My man's got a copy machine. I'm like, what? Yeah, but copy me? You can duplicate? You yeah. can... You can do multiples, you can enlarge. You know, I, I just couldn't believe the concept. So, yeah, humble beginnings get you somewhere. But it, it, the, the shit is ruined now because nothing has staying. There's, there's, there's no lasting power for anything. Everything you do, there's a perception that 15 minutes later, the shit's whack because it's fell into your feed by everybody else's fucking garbage that's it's like deemed some, somewhat irrelevant. It doesn't make sense, people. I mean, like, at some point, you're living the life you're living, but you got to step back and, like, just be like, wait a minute, this is a little bit cuckoo. And I'm losing touch with homies that used to be my boys, and, like, I don't even talk to people anymore. And, like, hey, can you check in on your mom and your dad or whatever? Because I don't have mom and dad, and I wish I didn't. I don't even have older heroes and shit. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about some Japanese frame maker in Osaka who's, like, the oldest hero I have because young people are letting me down. It's like I need to be kind of believing in, in heads. And, you know, yeah, the new Skip kids. Skip it are, up. Well, I'm just saying, like, just what's inspiring me? Eh, I don't know. You know, it's like, look, you, you're talking about the government. And, man, that's we don't even want to go there with that. It's just so horrible. It's, it's embarrassing. So I'll tell you what's, in, what's inspiring. Is, go ahead. So, by the luck of where we were on 4th and Bergen, Knock 167 lives down the block from our shop. I missed him at the Lee opening. I'm gutted. Um, I love well, Melvin. He, now, he could have been here. Yeah. Melvin could have been here. He would have loved Actually. It. That's Knock 167, by the way, who did a famous Style Wars train that was right. later... Yeah, the documentary is based, based on, yeah. on that... Car, which is an epic title. I mean, Star Wars is, is, is another genre altogether. Style Wars is next level well, for, like, for his time. So, Knock, Knock comes into our shop every day and sells me a drawing for cool. 20 bucks. Cool. I have a stack that's like, you know, and sometimes he catches a groove, sometimes he's not in the mood, but he's at it like every day. And it's a treasure. Absolutely. And it's just, you know, it's one of the great things about being here and you should treasure is the fact that, like, gods are walking the earth, you know, and they're, like, around and you can talk to them, you can engage and you can, you know, and, and New York is a place that takes care of its kings, you know. I'm sorry I can only give Knock a 20 bucks for his beautiful drawings, but I don't sell them. Uh, occasionally friends come through and wrestle them from me, you know, and... You know, whatever proceeds we get, we give to knock. But it's like he's in a he's in a situation where he can't have too much money and he can't have too little money. Correct. So Correct. we keep him in a seat. In, in I, a I ran spot. into that problem with Stay High, who's another great yeah. lost legend. And you know, I give Wayne all his due. Huge. Uh, well, whatever. I know it's I a have... treasure to have him here. So you have people in your lives, older nearby, you probably pass them every day, you don't engage them, engage them, find out who they are, find out what they're doing, and learn and benefit from that learning, and move it forward. Thank you, Sky. Thanks, Sky.
Wait, we got one, one more question. One more question. Hi. Um, so going back to the topic of changing walls, I wanted, I was just wondering what, uh, who do you guys, who's inspiring you now? Like what's this new, what, what's a new generation That's a of loaded art question. in general? <laughs> I tell you, who inspires me is this girl from Germany named Matt C. Yeah. This girl is a monster. Absolutely, she's four foot 11 and she outpaints anyone out there, hands down. She is an absolutely amazing artist, you have to check her out. Nancy, her name is Claudia. She, yeah, she, she doesn't inspire, she pushes me. Cause she comes to New York like, we gotta paint, we gotta paint. Like, no, I don't wanna paint. Cause she's just, you know, she's just, she just takes you apart. Absolutely extraordinary painter. And she's a girl. And she's little. Amazing woman. There's a ton of really good people out there right now. There's a lot of really, really people that, you know, you're, you admire and you're a little jealous of and you, you're inspired by. Shout and out to Ernest Zachariah. Yeah. You know his work? No. Okay. Yeah, he's dope. All right. I'm, I'm dumbfounded at the moment, but I'll think of somebody. See me afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you.